The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us again from Independence Day Minute and Galaxy Quest Minute, Alex Thompson. Yeah, I'm back here again. (laughs) (laughs) It's Minute 95, and it's the minute where, sadly, our main feature comes to an end. Uh, The minute starts with the president putting the all-important cassette into the tape deck, and it ends with the closing credits of the main cast. Ah! <laughs> this is it, Molly. It's it's after it's it's all closing credits after this. Oh, this is gonna be a fun next few episodes. Yeah. Oh. So I I think I mentioned Escape from L.A. previously uh, on the last minute. I I believe they did a similar type of subversion in that one where he gave them the device, the the mobile EMP thingy. Uh, they thought. And then it turns out he had given them some kind of a decoy. I don't remember what the heck the decoy act, uh, was, but mm-hmm. and then of course we we cut to him, you know, safely out of their grasp, and he hits the the button that blacks out the world. Yeah, that that was that's one of the main problems with Escape from LA. It's just it's just a repeat of the movie. You know, <laughs> they didn't the really thing. do any. Yeah, they didn't really do anything new. You know. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the fade out that ends the movie. Um, and we get to see Snake's uh, one last middle finger. Um, <laughs> we, we get the president here, and we get the, the great gag. But even before we get to the gag, why is the tape deck upside down? <laughs> <laughs> we cut to a shot of a hand putting the cassette in the tape deck. And I'm not sure if it's the president putting it in himself or, or if it's someone else. Whoever it is has a handcuff, uh, handcuff to their arm. But why is the tape deck upside down? Uh, I, I think the editing of the scene, it is meant to imply that it is him. We do see the motion before we cut away and after. Okay. Or, or at least after um, he puts it in, we... Yeah. So, so it, is, it is edited to look like it is him. So if that's the case, that means that they reattached a handcuff to his hand? Because I mean, he's he's been brought out. He's he's been cleaned up, shaved, put in a new uni- uh, a nice outfit. Um, obviously, you know the the briefcase doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure they took the handcuff off of his wrist that would have been on his wrist after the. I mean, I don't know why they would have left it on. I don't see how they could have left it on if they put oh. him in this nice new suit. So did they put a new handcuff for the cassette on his arm? Well, I would suggest. Uh, because the handcuff, the chain that's dangling from his wrist does not really appear to be tethered to very much weight. Yeah. So I wonder if he perhaps just acquired a fetish during his time, <laughs> uh, during the events of this movie. Wow. And I yeah. wish you wouldn't, I wish you wouldn't kink shame on your <laughs> podcast. I apologize. I apologize to anyone into bondage. I apologize. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I just couldn't figure that out either. Why would you not take that off of him? I mean, you're you're on a it's a, basically a military base. You don't have some sort of like a hacksaw or 
you know, I don't know, some like hedge trimmers or something. You can clip this thing off that's still on him after all this time. Or a key. <laughs> or a key. Yeah. Or, or I mean, he could. Uh, I don't know why he couldn't have one of his handlers actually perform the manual labor of inserting the cassette. The guy just survived this horrible ordeal. And like, I hey, put the tape in yourself, present, whatever. You know, unless it's an ego thing of uh, a part of that uh, performative, you know, I'm going to put the tape in and press play upside down for no good reason. Yeah, uh, part I, of the theatrics of the office. It's why it's why the president appears on an aircraft carrier. Uh, with a message that says "Mission accomplished" behind him, it's it's mm. part of the the it's part of the theater of mm. being the leader. It's the like a CEO, it's like a CEO giving a presentation, and they're clicking the advance button on the PowerPoint instead of having an underling do it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Can I also ask a question here? I, I'm a little bit curious why no one tried the the cassette tape prior <laughs> to being played, just to confirm, you know. Well, yeah, so uh, he presses play, and it is not that incredibly exciting speech about nuclear fission uh, that my sister analyzed a couple of weeks ago. It's the good old friend, the American Bandstand theme. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) He goes through such a a myriad of emotions here, it's really magical. The side eye that he gives to the cassette tape is just so... (laughs) Well, it's not beyond the realm of this character to be a little hubristic. And, you mm. know, he wouldn't necessarily, you know, me, if I'm going to be giving a presentation, I'm checking and double checking and triple checking. But he says, yeah, I've got a cassette tape. Of course, it's our cassette tape. He was not paying attention in Cabby's cab to notice, mm-hmm. like we did, that all of the cassettes are the exact same type of cassette. Mm hmm. And I love that it's, I mean, I understand that from just a plot perspective that it, it just happened to be a cassette tape that he could pull. But there's something kind of symbolic for me that it came from Cabby, you know, that we're talking about, you know, here's here's the piece of the world, right? I'm going to give you something that's going to knit our great nations together. And it's a representation of the one guy who's willing to go out on a limb for a stranger, You know, the one really kind of soft, compassionate. And I know he bolted a few times, so, you know, whatever. But basically, he was there when they needed a a Molotov cocktail. So, you know, it's prison, whatever. But essentially... The kindest, most helpful guy. Right. He was a really helpful dude, you know? He was the guy who was there in in a clinch a couple of times. And, you know, was just like, hey, I I basically... You're Snake Plissken. I believe in you. And... You know, I'm going to help you escape, like, pseudo-zombies and get you to, you know, the bridge. And and he died for it. And this is, in this moment, he's kind of the representation of what, what like, peace kind of looks like in this world. And so I think there's a little bit of, like, you know, and I don't know if that was really thought out intentionally by, you know, John Carpenter. But, you know, there's, there's that element of it now being, you know, an, an older person and checking this out that, you know, I was a little bit touched by, honestly. Is it also the the thing that's going to unite unite and unify the country is music? Mm. Yes, and the theme song to a song American Bandstand was the TV mm. show that this theme song was used on. 
Hmm. Hmm. And uh, who doesn't love Dick Clark? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I was uh, just Googling uh, American Bandstand and uh, the racial um, overtones of it. Back when American Bandstand was originally located in Philadelphia, it was uh, still really segregated. Mm. Um, and then, but then when it went national in LA, Dick Clark decided to integrate it. So back when it was in Philly, it was a bit of the, it, appropriation before appropriation was a thing. Uh, you know, drawing on interracial music scene, but not allowing an interracial audience back in Because mm. we don't do that sort of thing, because heaven forbid. Uh, but then Dick Clark said, no, 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 no. Yeah, we, we can have black people in the audience. It's fine. Hmm. Um, but, you know, uniting the country, sort of. Interesting. And so we cut to Snake, and our last shot of the movie is uh, Snake giving the ultimate fuck you. He's got the field cassette, <laughs> and he's just, you know, back in the 80s when you were growing up then, this was the worst thing that could happen to your cassettes if you saw this happen. You go, ah, oh, God, you know, my machine, the, the tape is ruined. Snake tears it up, we fade to black. And uh, we know the credits on our movie's over. And It's uh, the worst thing that could happen to your cassette is to have yeah. it disassembled by a man in an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I have a feeling, Alex, that this is what you were getting at yesterday when I uh, said, wait, 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 save it for tomorrow. Because, you know, another reason that I don't like the fact that there's a sequel is you, know, you don't know what happens next. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know. I can't see how he could get off Liberty Island after having done what he just did, but I don't think that he cares. Um, but, you know, you started to talk yesterday about what does Snake do next? What is his next move? Let's, you know, if you assume he does somehow get off the island, you know, what yeah. is I going to do now? Yeah, because I was saying, he, again, he doesn't seem like the type to go be, you know, a a hired gun or something like that. Even though he's got the skills to do it, he doesn't seem to have the political motivations to do it or the greed to want to do it, that sort of a thing. Uh, So does he just become a tradesman? (laughs) Like a cobbler? (laughs) I don't know. Like uh, a carpenter? uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he runs a gun range? I don't know. That seems like a oh reasonable application of his skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can see him being, you know, kind of retirement age. And he's like, yeah, I got a little money stash somewhere in Zurich. I'm going to go ahead and pull that out and, you know, get myself a gun range and just run it and be that crusty old guy who runs the gun range, you know, somewhere. So, yeah, that's valid. I guess, yeah. I, I, I just looked it up and... It's really frustrating. I was trying to see if there's any kind of continuity between Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. And I was hoping at least Snake Plissken is incarcerated in Escape from L.A. because of what he does here at the end of Escape from New York. And no, it's not. (laughs) He's just captured for more crimes. Yeah. Like, at least have him being locked up because he, you know, destroyed the nuclear fission tape. Come on. But. Yeah. (laughs) What would yeah, you like to see him do? If you had to guess, you know, logically uh, from here, what would you think? Just kind of like go into the, just like live a life of solitude in Alaska, that kind of thing. You mm. know, like go live in the woods, be a mountain man, you know, just like hunt and kill, hunt and fish and kill your food and 
you know, build yourself a log cabin, that sort of thing. Because mm. he's not, he doesn't seem like the type that needs human contact, right? He doesn't seem like he needs to be around people for many necessities. I could see him just being like a survivalist. Hmm. Yeah. Eric, what do you think? Um, Alex literally said exactly what I was going to say. Move to Alaska <laughs> and live off the land. I just, the only thing difference I was going to say was he would get a wolf to live with him. But mm. otherwise he said exactly what I was going to say that I, I could completely see that. What yeah. I also, ha- I also had that stuck in my head cause I just watched El Camino. So the idea of going to Alaska to start a new life is, is fresh mm. right now. Spoiler. What do you think Molly? I, you know, I definitely think that that's a, a super possibility, but I think this guy really, I think he's one of those guys that, kind of needs action, you know? And as much as I think he's been jaded, not necessarily that he's going to get pulled into like another scenario like this, but um, I don't know. Like, I think I'd like to see him kind of go like the, did you guys ever watch burn notice at all? Molly, you know the answer to that. God damn it, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) I think authentically, I think you'd really enjoy it though. It's, it's a good, I think you'd really dig it. Um, Alex, have you seen burn notice? I have not. Okay, well, I'll give you the very basic premise is there's a, a gentleman who works for the CIA, and uh, basically his identity gets kind of found out. And so he's been, and, and there's like a conspiracy, but basically he's been given a burn notice. And so what he essentially does is he takes his skill set and he kind of helps people. So kind of a, a MacGyver kind of thing, but he's got um, uh, an ex-Navy SEAL friend and then another woman um, that he kind of had a relationship while he was like undercover um, named Fiona, and so they're they're kind of together, but kind of not. And then they, the three of them, basically like you know they kind of do good, but they have like this really gnarly kind of military skill set. And that's something I would kind of like to see from Snake that maybe he could you know be continue to be that antihero, but you know maybe help people out in that way. Like well, he still have he some seems action to really just sort of be an anarchist and. The ending here, and I guess to keep bringing up Skip from L.A., the ending of that one, his actions are almost anarcho-terrorist. You know, he's not that removed from, like, the Heath Ledger Joker. Wow. Um, Like, he's a little... He's a little more helpful. He's got some sense of morality, but he's not... He doesn't care that much about things. Or people, I think, all that much. Like, he he put the entire world into a blackout. He destroyed a thing that gave, a, that gave the world a chance at, like, unity. He... Uh, nihilist, maybe, would be maybe a better... Uh, there's a real strong nihilist streak here, I see. Mm. A real strong anarchist streak. It's hard for me to picture him being large-scale helpful. Hmm. Well, I don't know that he'd be like large scale helpful, but I think what I see is in, in philosophically here is the integrity of of a single individual over uh, a corrupt government or a, a corrupt system. This is a man who values integrity quite a bit. This is the man who gave his gun over to Maggie on the bridge because he understood the integrity that she needed in that moment. So I think he has a really I think he has a deep sense of honor. And yeah, he's not swayed by groups. And obviously he, you know, and, and you know, this is again, open to interpretation. I think that's the reason why he hung on to the tape and asked the president one last time. He's like, Hey, all these people died for you. You know, what do you think about that? So 
now we don't see that directly, but my interpretation of that moment is, is like, I'm going to give you one last chance because I think, and again, I'm coming from another podcast where, you know, at the very end of it, they had an option. This was Cabin mm-hmm. in the Woods. You know, they had an option to basically mm-hmm. sacrifice a person to save the whole world. And they're like, you know what? This whole system is corrupt. Fuck it. Right. We're just going to let this go. And I kind of see something similar in the end of this. And I think that that's the, I think that's also in a very, uh, an American notion of, and it's something that we've kind of built into our, our own political system here is that when you have something that's, there's some personal beliefs or personal integrity or personal honor that comes in contact with uh, a pretty like, you know, some venality and a, and a, and a corrupt system, you know, that person rising up and saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to go along with your ride here is very attractive. I think that's why this movie has legs. So I can see, you know, in that kind of personal, but you're right. I mean, he definitely is taking things into his own hands and he's really allowing something that could potentially very be very apocalyptic to happen. But, you know, it's because he, you know, values, I think, integrity that much. Yeah. All those belief systems, he could have joined the A-team. <laughs> he would be great on the A team. <laughs> I don't know, Eric. What do you think? What's your What's your two cents on that? I mean, he's he 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 does not care. You know, <laughs> I, I, in the, the beginning of the movie, he doesn't give a shit about anything. You know, Hauk says the president's been captured, and he says, you know, the president of what? Like, you know, he just he and the movie has what has happened to him in this movie has not changed him. Even giving mm. the president that one last chance by saying, what do you think of that? Where if he gave him an answer he's looking for, he probably then gives him the correct tape. I think that that's, I think Snake probably does that anyway. Because he's, he, I don't think that it shows, I don't think it means that he cares I, when he does that. I think he's just basically like, you know, huh, I'm interested in seeing if this president guy, has this experience changed him or not, you know? Um, it hasn't? Oh, okay. Well, then to hell with it all. I didn't give a shit before, and now I still don't give a shit. And even if he had said the right thing, I'd give him the tape, but I still wouldn't give a shit, you know? Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like we've talked before about how uh, Kurt Russell said that Snake Plissken is a guy who lives in the in the next 60 seconds. He, he deals with those 60 seconds that are before him, and when they're up, he moves on to the next 60 seconds, and he just does not think about anything past that that's how he lives his life and Mm. so right now he's like well you know what this president's a dick screw him i'm gonna open this tape i don't know what's gonna what the release what the results of this is and i don't really give a shit because i'm not thinking about that Mm. which honestly comes back to my line about the joker he's a dog (laughs) he's a dog chasing cars he wouldn't know what to do if he caught it right Mm. I, i think there is also something that's maybe a bit um smart about destroying the tape in that when they come for him he can say look i don't have it it's in that parking lot that i walked away from sorry you know they can't try to torture him for it they can't chase him for it they can't anything i don't have it it's gone they can even find it in the parking lot when they're chasing after him and go oh here it is yeah and maybe maybe because we're in the future maybe they have technology to uh somehow (laughs) fix the uh cassette tape (laughs) It's a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that they did, even though they jumped into the future, they didn't jump far enough into the future where um, this technology is outdated. So 1997, we were still using audio cassettes. 
<laughs> it's not like they jumped to 2017 and they're saying that we're still using audio cassettes. Hmm. They yeah, said like it the near movie. enough in yeah. They said yeah, like, it near enough in the future that that technology didn't wasn't outmoded by that point completely. Yeah, like I, it makes me think of the original Star Trek TV show when they would insert like these cards into the computers to, for information or something. That's like that mm-hmm. that that's like what my dad did in college in the '60s in the year 2300. They're not still doing that, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, we move into the closing credits, and uh, I actually have a few things in the closing credits here. Um, in my notes that popped up, the biggest one to me is that Susan Hubley, who's in the movie for about two minutes, gets billing above Harry Dean Stanton, above Adrian Barbeau, uh, above Tom Atkins. And this is pure conjecture on my part, but I wonder if her name is that high up because of who she happened to be married to at the time of this movie. I had the exact same note. Mm. I thought that was com- completely... Yeah, I, I think definitely Kurt must have said, please, please, please put her up, you know, with the main yeah. cast. Because she was in there for what, three, you know, was she even in for three minutes? I think it's like two, two and a half minutes. I mean, yeah. Brain and Maggie are two of the major characters in the movie. Yeah, I just, yeah. She's, I mean, the, she's the first of those characters who doesn't actually have a name. Yes, I guess, oh, I guess Donald Pleasance is just the president. Oh, yeah, but. and actually the Duke is just the Duke, actually. We never know the Duke. Yeah, name. but that's still a title. Mm-hmm. That's still a title that he's essentially really given himself. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially his name. But, like, the president is uh, an elected title. Right, but, that's true. But Girl in Chock Full of Nuts is, is <laughs> just a character description. Yeah. Yeah, and even above Adrian Barbeau, that's interesting, because I, I would think think at this time period they both would have had some similar credits so but adrian barbo has more screen time so yeah it's a, it's an interesting thing to put her up you know that that high up on the list yeah and then uh another one um in case you're watching the closing credits and you see someone named joe unger playing the role of taylor going above romero and you're wondering wait a minute who was taylor and how was they had a bigger role in romero Taylor was Snake's partner in the deleted opening scene, and they left him in uh, the closing credits. Oh. Which leads me to believe that the closing credits were completed before they decided to cut the opening scene and just decided not to go back and change the closing credits. But well, maybe there was a deleted, like, 20-minute scene with Girl and Chock Full of Nuts. <laughs> that... You know, she she gets a big, a big meaty monologue to really sink her teeth into. And they, they just had to, they had to cut it for pacing, really, is what happened. <laughs> I think even if that opening scene is cut, he still should have been after Romero. Uh, ultimately, he would have just been in that opening sequence. Romero appears throughout the movie. Uh, so uh, I think it's funny that we have to talk about this credit sequence being done um, before... <laughs> anything because now looking at this credit sequence i could knock this out in 20 minutes so <laughs> you know what yeah. i have to take a note to see if when we get towards the end of the credits usually they'll give a credit to the company that makes the credits in the credits which is very meta um I, I, i'm gonna be curious to see as we go through these credits molly if we see the company that did these credits because you're right alex this this is 
um, this is Microsoft Word just changing the font and printing. Yeah, that the that credit for the guy who did the credit for the company that did the credits is just going to say Dave the intern. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out that Tom Atkins' character Remy, when I was a kid, uh, I thought it was like Rame or Rem or something like that. I had no idea that was Remy when I was little, and I was Rem. shocked when I got to, to find out that oh, okay, it's Remy. Oh yeah, that has kind of like a uh, like a Louisiana spelling to it. It's Remy. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that they do the the caps for the actual name of the actor actress and then lowercase for the name of the the character. It's a real subtle thing that is weird that I thought was weird with the credits is that they start with them kind of they fade in mid uh, mid flight. You know, we don't cut to a black screen and then Kurt Russell's name rolls up from bottom. Mm. We we cut to the black screen and then fade into a screen that's already got Kurt Russell, Lee Van Cleef, and Ernest Borgnine on it. I guess just, just honestly just for pacing, because otherwise you're looking at a black screen for a little, probably a little too long before we get to anything remotely interesting. And that the credits anyway. This is This is a period in time before credits were interesting. Right. <laughs> the only other thing that I want to point out, and this has nothing to do with the credits themselves, but just because Harry Dean Stanton's name is on the screen here, I just finished um, Curtis Armstrong's autobiography, for, uh, most well-known for playing Booger, the Revenge of the Nerds movies, and he's in Risky Business, and he talks about how Rebecca Dormernay, who of course is, uh, became very famous from that movie, was 23 years old at the time of that movie, and was dating one Mr. Harry Dean Stanton at the time, who was 56 then? Wow. I just felt that I had to point that out. Wow. Interesting. Big age difference, and uh, no offense, Harry Dean, big uh, looks differences. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite in the same league. No. <laughs> well, fame will do that for you. Yeah. Uh, although, I-, I just looked up a picture. Um, now, now, actually, now that I can. I was about to say, actually, when he was younger, he looked all right. But now that the picture's a little bigger, it's like, yeah, he's still kind of <laughs> looking a little Harry Dean Stanton-ish. <laughs> that's a, I appreciate, though, that you were looking to be like, oh, well, you know, maybe now, now. That's <laughs> well, because this, when this thumbnail looked smaller, I was like, oh, you know, he's got a little bit of like a rugged hit because he's in like kind of a cowboy hat and he's got a five o'clock shadow and it's mm. a Western. It's like, oh, I could see him look a little, maybe a handsome picture gets bigger. Oh, no. No, sorry. Sorry, Harry. That's not the, not the greatest. Uh, he, he, um, face, face built for character acting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My next question for Alex time. Oh, okay. How would you think if, uh, I don't know his last name, but David, the character Jeff Goldblum plays in Independence Day, mm-hmm. he'd make a pretty decent brain if he were in this situation, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, David Levinson would, uh, yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's he's a tech guy. He can. It, it essentially it's motivation for him because he uh, his whole arc of Independence Day is he he starts the movie as sort of an unmotivated genius and finds the motivation to actually do something with his life. So, you know, if if he f- if something inspires him to actually go out there and, and do the thing, then he'll do the thing. Nice. Cool. Um, Alex, can you let everybody know out in the interwebs where they can find you and your podcasts? 
Yeah, uh, on your podcatcher of choice, you can check out Independence Day Minute, Galaxy Quest Minute. I've also guested on various other Minute shows. Um, check me out on all those. Excellent. And you can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Also, we have a Facebook group, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.